Again, my name is Jonathan. I'm an addict. First, I'd like to thank the uh, WCNA 31 for extending the opportunity for me to come up and say a few words and tell a little bit about myself and what NA has done for an addict like me. I have some special uh, folks. Uh, one's not here, but the wife is. Uh, Ron, who is uh, from our area, a very supportive member on the World Board and uh, always been a strong advocate for, for an addict like me, and I'd, I'd like to give a personal thank you to him, even in his absence, and Sam, you can let him know. And a lot of folks from my home group, you know, they came, they hear me speak a lot, they hear me talk a lot at meetings, so that means I go to a lot of meetings, and for people to hear you talk over and over and over and over again, and then to come out and uh, support you, I just want to say thank you to all those folks that came out to support me today. I'm going to talk a little bit about, from the street life, to the sleep life. Now, I have, to, I have to do one thing before I do that, because I, I have some folks that hitchhike here with me today, and uh, I need to dismiss that committee that came with me. And the first one on the list I need to get rid of is fear. You know, the one that always told me that I was never going to measure up, I need to dismiss that one. And then I've got to dismiss grandiosity because once you get to this level and you get to speak at, at so-called the world level, then, you know, you might think you know something and that you're somebody. I need to dismiss that today. Uh, so I have committed members, and some of y'all probably got the same committed members. You know, they talk to you. They tell you, you know, you, you ain't got nothing to say. You know, other people that spoke out here that have a message much stronger than yours, and, you know, their story's better than yours, and, you know what, I need to dismiss that today. Because all I'm here to do is share my experience, strength, and hope. Just one addict story. And I don't know where this tape will end up. I don't know who might listen to it. But you know what? If I can make it and stay clean, anybody can make it and stay clean. I just need to share that. First, I'd also like to thank my wife and my son. They came out and, uh, you know, I spent a lot of time out of the house doing service work, going to a lot of meetings. My wife still asks me, why do you still go to so many meetings? But if I ever take that pocketbook... In that checkbook, and start smoking up the house in the cars, I know that question won't ever come up. But the flip side of that coin is that I also know that there's a responsibility and an obligation, and I can hide out behind that and not spend time at home. And I, and I want to thank her for the opportunity that she allowed me to come out and do things and spend with the newcomer and take hours away from my family that I could be doing with them and doing with somebody else. So I'd just like to say thank you, and I love you. I want to say that. You know, I'm, I'm not going to uh, uh, try to cram 20 years of recovery into 55 minutes. Uh, that's not what I'm here to do. I'm not going to talk a lot about my early childhood, but I will tell you two things that, that I think is relevant and I think that's important uh, that, 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 that got me into this atmosphere of the street life. Uh, both of my parents, uh, I met my dad for the first time when I was 11 years old. Uh, him and my mom got together, had sex when they were working uh, one time. A baby was born, and, and, and that has a significant impact in my life. My dad is an alcoholic. Actually, he's, he's recovering, alcoholic now. My mom suffered from alcoholism. I saw things that a son probably ought not see a mom do. And uh, from my relationship with my mom and watching some of the things that she did, it was some of the ways that I treated women was based on what I saw my mom do. Because if my mom could cheat, I knew all women could cheat. Now, that's not fair to y'all, because I took one person and generalized about a whole group of people. But I was working with the skills I had at the time. You know, I come in here with very limited skills. 
When I got here, I say this all the time, it's true, I was bilingual, I speak broken English and profanity fluently. Yeah. That's how I got here. I know where to put all the emphasis, I know how to use all the cuss words, I know how to do all that kind of stuff, but I choose not to do that today. I had a sponsor once who said, Jonathan, he says, you got such a great story, why do you have to color it up with so much profanity? He made me angry, but he was telling the truth. That's just for this addict. I ain't telling nobody else how to do their thing. What works for you works for you. You know, it works at, for each of us on our own pace. To get into what happened to me, uh, growing up without a dad, growing up in a violent family, my uncle was a very violent man. That was my male role model. He didn't believe in snitching right off the bat. Matter of fact, my first lesson was I came home one day and he was having sex with a lady in my bed and I wouldn't go to sleep in that bed because they had had sex in that bed and I wasn't going to sleep in that bed and I told my grandma and she got on this case and he came and jacked me up that night and told me don't, I, don't never eat cheese. That's what he told me. You don't never snitch on nobody. You don't never tell. That stuck with me. And he didn't play the radio. My uncle was killed a few years later. That was the first funeral I went to. He, I was 12 years old, and he was murdered. He lived hard. He died hard. My mom, in her addiction, she was rough. She shot people. She was cut. She, she got cut. I grew up around that kind of stuff. My biggest uh, thing that I grew up with most was fear. I grew up with a lot of fear, and I covered it up with everything else. I showed her the pistol, but it wasn't because I was bad, it was because I was afraid. If I ain't have it, you might hurt me. I don't hurt you first. That's the, way, that's the way it went. I grew up with a lot of fear. I grew up with a lot of insecurity. I want to share this, and, and, and I want to get into this, this, this story. Uh, I, I, got, I, I went through the whole deal, joined the military, got married for the first time, cheated on my wife, did a lot of drugs. Sold a lot of drugs, and in 1981, I got busted. So what a finest kicked my door in. Now, just to tell you the kind of person I was, I, in my mind, I was a big-time drug dealer. In my mind. You know, and, and, and it wasn't no big deal. I mean, I, I was making a little bit of money. I was working at Florida Power, and, 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 and I wasn't cashing my paychecks, and I made more money on the streets than I was on my job, and I was a big-time drug dealer. I went out and bought me a brand-new 77 Cutlass Burgundy with white guts with some spinners on it. I had a drip-drop jerry curl. I had some joy-ass tight jeans, and I had it going on. I had it going on. I kept a fresh grand in my pocket every day. If I got up and I didn't have $1,000, that was a bad day. You know, I did that for a little while. I need to say that that money was not for me, it was for you. The car was not for me, it was for you. The drug dealing was not for me, it was for you. Because now I'm not just little Ricky that lived up the street, now I'm Slick Rick. Now I got a nickname, man Slick Rick, who got the package? Rick got it, man, he got that package. And what comes with that is a lot of accolades. A lot of kinky sex. I'm going to talk about that in a little while, too. A lot of kinky sex. 
and, and uh, a false sense of uh, feeling like I'm somebody. My grandma said, and this is my, my profanity, she said, boy, they can't hit you in the ass with a red apple. That's what she meant. She did, I thought I was hot stuff. That's what she, she, she was saying. And she said things like, boy, it's a mighty long road that don't end somewhere. But I couldn't hear her. I couldn't hear. She said, boy, a little long is better than a short heat. She, you, you can tell she's from the South, right? Yeah. A little long is better than a short heat. I couldn't hear. Florida finest kicked my door in. They took me to jail. I lost my job with Florida Power. By this time, I stopped dealing with the one drug that I was dealing with because it was too bulky. And I started dealing with a little drug that was a little more uh, easier to manage and you can make a lot more money faster. Then Richard Pryor caught on fire. And I wanted to know why. And for the next four years, I did what he was doing that when he caught on fire. Ain't that crazy? But that's what I did. For four years. Every day, I, I, I sought ways and means to get more. And then at the end of four years, I had, uh, when I got busted, I went to court. They put me on probation. They gave me six five-year sentences. They suspended them, and they put me on probation. And they put a stipulation that I needed to get a, a, a drug evaluation. And for four years, while on probation, I didn't go get, I didn't go pay no money. I reported once a month, and I used the whole four years uh, of the five-year probation. And what I found out later on was my aunt called down and told the people that I was not abided by uh, any probation. I was getting high, and would they do something? And uh, after four years, they came. They changed my probation officer. I went down to visit this new probation officer. She sent me to get a drug assessment, and the verdict came back that I needed to go into an 18-month residential treatment program. And that's what I did. I, I, went, I entered a residential treatment program. I stayed there for four months. They introduced me to meetings at that treatment facility. They took me to two kinds of meetings. I don't have to tell you which kind they took me to. I'm, I'm going to try to be obedient to the traditions. They took me to two kinds of meetings. And what impressed me about both meetings is that there were people from the outside that came to those meetings on Friday nights and Saturday nights when they could have been anywhere else. They would come into the meeting and talk about things that applied to my life that I didn't want to hear. I got clean on accident, y'all. Y'all ain't following me. I was trying to duck them six, five-year sentences. I was being obedient to what the people told me that I needed to do. They sent me to meetings, and I was half listening because I sat on the back of the uh, uh, rows. And at the end of the meeting, three or four or five o'clock in the morning, these little boys would say, you know the stuff in the meetings that people are saying is true. You know you got three kids at home, and you're in treatment, and what you do, and you're the, you're, you're the example for them. You know, kids are going to do what you do, not what you say do. And I used to listen to the little boys, and, 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 and it just used to keep me awake at night. And I stayed there for four months in that treatment facility. And then, like any good addict, you had to be voted in. You had to, the, all of the other residents had to vote you into this treatment facility. And I, at four months, I told them I got all the information I needed. Uh, I went to meetings. I'm clean for four months. Uh, I don't think I need to be here. So they voted me out. <laughs> and I went to visit my probation officer, and they sent me to jail. And I sat in jail for four months without a bond. 
And I'm going to tell you, God's address is, I don't know about in y'all town, but it's on 49th Street where I live at. Because that's where I found God, in jail. You know, uh, I went to the meetings in jail. They only had one kind of meeting in jail. And I went to that meeting. And I would listen. And one night, a voice spoke to me and said these words. It says, I lived, I loved, I laughed. Then trouble came, I stumbled and failed. It seems the life I was living was taking me straight to hell. I even ended up going to jail. I was a self-made man with women and wealth, but I was ruining my health and killing myself. I didn't know then where to begin, but it was obvious I couldn't do it myself. Then, like a boat, God gave me a jolt of his everlasting love and care. You see, I knew it was him because my life was so dim that only he could show me the way. He showed me I was finished, but didn't diminish the pleasures I seek as a man. He said, turn over your life and make sacrifice, and I will show you the way. Before that time, roses are red, violets are blue was the best I could do. <laughs> best I could do. And you know what? I would like to thank y'all for clapping for me, but that's God working in my life. Doing for me what I can't do for myself. God met me at the level of my needs before I was even ready for him. He's awesome. I went to the jail church that, 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 that next day after getting that little revelation. And I read that little poem. That's what I called it in front of about 30 guys that was in that jail. I read that little poem. They all stood up and applauded. I went back to my cell, and for the first time, I had a bond. They gave me a $5,000 bond. That evening, my dad, who I had never really asked for anything and never really did anything for me, came to visit. I shared the story with him. He says, Ricky, that's what he called me. He said, if your grandmother put the house up, I'll give you the $500 uh, to get out of jail. My grandmother loved me. She put the house up. My dad spent the $500. I got out of jail. My ex-wife at that time, we were separated, uh, had insurance, and they sent me off to another treatment program. I'm still trying to duck these six, five-year sentences because the violation opens it all back up again. I go through the 28-day treatment program. They take me to some more meetings. They take me to all different kinds of meetings now. Not just the two kinds. They took me to the ones that deal with the families, too. And I learned something at every one of them. I would listen. And I would get stuff out of it. The difference in that treatment center and the one I was in before, the first one was a very confrontational, direct approach, like right out of the bucket. I can handle that. I have a defense for that. You give me some grief and you get in my face, I can cuss you out and I get back down with you. The second one, it came from a whole other approach that I didn't have a defense for. You're not a bad person <laughs> trying to get good. You're a sick person trying to get well. <laughs> Man, they hit me where I didn't have a defense. I spent more time crying as an adult male than I did all my teenage years. Y'all ain't heard me. I've cried more in recovery than I did all my years put together. They hit me where I lived at. But it broke down and the fences so smooth and, and, and they were out of the way and the, the guilt creeped up in my life. The guilt that I had spent all my money on drugs and none of my money taking care of my kids. But I said I love my children. The dope man got all the money and all the time. 
And when I came to the realization that I love drugs more than I love anybody, that was a hurting thing for this act. And I got in touch with it. And I grieved it. My jeans were shiny. If you see shiny jeans, that's recovery. See, I get intellectual recovery. I can get information, but it, don't, it, it helps, but that's not where I get well at. My healing took place in my grieving and the letting go. That's, the, that's street life. I know how to do that with my eyes closed. Don't take no effort. It's a little bit of work, but it don't take no real effort. The work has taken place inside these rooms, the sweet life. That's where the work is taking place for this addict. I came out of that treatment center, and on April 17th, 1984, when they arrested me and took me to jail, I don't know why, family, but I have not found it necessary one day at a time to pick up another drug. Now, I say that, that's before I even have a program. And I wanted to get high every minute of every waking day for about the first 18 months. Thought about it every day. Wanted to get high every day. I picked up a new drug of choice, though, which was the first drug of choice, really, and that was sex. Did y'all want me to talk about it? I'm going to talk about it. My, that was my first drug of choice. And um, in recovery, I was doing well. I, I, I beat the six five-year sentences. I did 365 days on that, on that five-year bid because the judge suspended my pro, uh, probation. He gave me 365 days in the county jail. That was my halfway house, y'all. Y'all hear how God was doing for me what I couldn't do for myself? He knew I wasn't going to go back to my neighborhood and do the right thing. He gave me 365 days to get some time under my belt before they sent me back to my neighborhood. So when I got out of treatment, I was about almost uh, 18 months clean, and I went to my first uh, state convention in uh, 1985 in Miami, and then I went to my first world convention in September that year in Washington, D.C. And it, it, there's some relevance in that, because I want to share with you, when I got clean, I was the only one that looked like me in my area. You know, they talk about identification. I know we have no, uh, no race, color, creed, or religion, or all that stuff, but to identify on a personal level, I needed to see some people like me getting clean. And when I went to Miami, they was down there. And I used to ride down there to get my package, so I used to ride down there to go to what? Meetings. But they told me that's what I needed to do. And I was going out to get that identification. And I went to D.C. and I met Doreen and a couple of other old-timers. And I came home and I started a meeting in my neighborhood. My home group is the Freedom Group of Narcotics Anonymous. We meet Wednesday night at the NLK Center in the hood. I like low-bottom meetings. See, the other kind of meetings, I go to them and I get information from them, but I like them gut-bucket, low-bottom meetings where people go to jail and doing that stuff that I used to do because it keeps me fresh. It keeps me fresh. It lets me know where I come from. And where I can go back to, I'm talking about in a heartbeat. See, I'm not 21 years away from where I used to be. I'm one arm's length, one bad decision from where I used to be. I know that today. This sweet life, I'm, I'm going to speed it up. I, I, I want to talk to you about the sweet life. I kind of laid the groundwork to talk to you. I'm going to talk about that sex thing. I ain't going nowhere from it. I'm going to talk to you about that. All right? I'm going to talk about that. This sweet life. 
I told you I smoked my family. I didn't pay child support. I got a, a son. He's 26 years old. He's doing his second bid in federal prison. He did four. He came home on control release, caught another case. He's doing nine on this bid. He still holds me responsible for not being there for him like I did with my dad. I wish I could say I don't own any guilt or any shame or anything from that. But you know what? You can get clean and you can do a lot of good stuff. But there's some things that's a thorn in the side that's just still right there. Yeah. I'm still holding on to some of that. And I get sucked in. I buy into some of the guilt and all that kind of stuff. I'm letting you know that's what I do. I do that. I got two other sons. They shot my other son last year. They came in to rob me, sell a little weed. They came in to rob him, take a safe. They shot him. Scared me to death because he was doing what I used to do. I didn't take that as my fault or my responsibility because they've seen me stay clean for almost tw- over 20 years. When, my, when I got clean, uh, my son was four, my oldest. The next son was about three, and the other one was 18 months. So for most of their life, they saw me clean, but I still get held accountable for what I did to their mom, and rightfully so. I can't, getting clean don't erase what I used to do. It don't erase what I did. It just allows me to be able to live inside these rooms and live inside my skin after I do some work to be able to feel comfortable enough. And I do feel forgiven. I do feel that today. I know God has forgiven me. But anyway, I'd say that to share this. Those other two boys, they, uh, they got their own little rap group, and they still dibbling and dabbling. And I hope that they... Don't have to find these rooms, but if they do, I know we're here waiting for them. I can't say that they're addicts. All I can say is I'm a what? Addict. And I can say my mom's an alcoholic and my dad's an alcoholic because they said it. But I can't say what they are, but they sure look like what I used to do. (laughs) And I'm scared for them. I really am. And I support them in their business. They, They have the little rap group every Friday night. I'm down at their little club where they work at. And I'm on the dough, and I'm collecting the money, and they're not doing everything that I think they ought to be doing, because I'm the kind of addict, if you're not doing everything I think you ought to be doing the way I think you ought to be doing it, then I ain't got time for you. But I'm starting to learn where unconditional love is. I'm meeting them where they are. And we have a relationship today, even though they're not doing everything I think they ought to do. That's growth for this addict. I'm not telling anybody else what to do now. Don't get it confused. But anyway, our relationship is, is getting a little bit better, and, I, and there's hope for that relationship. I talk about my young son that's here that's 10, and he's doing extremely well. I don't want to leave him out. He said something to his mom this weekend. He said, if Daddy wouldn't have been an addict, we wouldn't be in Hawaii. <laughs> he ain't hardly lying. But I don't want him to think that that's what he has to do to be successful. You know, God has done for me what I couldn't do for myself. What I was doing to destroy myself, he's turning around and giving me a fellowship to turn it out to make it good. Not everybody get that opportunity. Because a lot of my friends are either in jail for the rest of their life or dead. To talk, to speed this thing up, uh, dealing with, 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 talking a little bit about my family, I want to talk a little bit about this sweet life. At three years clean, I, I got a sponsor in Narcotics Anonymous. I didn't always have a sponsor in Narcotics Anonymous. I was an alcoholic and a, right? I made people mad in my area. They would never let me talk at a meeting. 
I couldn't be on certain committees because I went to two fellowships. I understand that today. I didn't understand it then. I do understand. I love Narcotics Anonymous. This is my fellowship of choice. I go to Narcotics Anonymous meetings. I don't go to other fellowships today. I come to this fellowship because I feel loved here. I feel embraced here. But for a lot of years, I was an alcoholic ander. And for people that are alcoholic anders, I hope that, I, that they don't have to go through what I went through. You know, we'll love you until you can love yourself. And where you got to go to get your recovery, do what you got to do to get to where you got to go. See, because I don't know what's best for you, even though I think I do. At five years clean, I went into treatment again for a family of origin issues. I got it on a deeper level. I had a lot of people sniggering and laughing. The best thing I could have did for myself at five years clean. I got in touch with some things. I worked through some issues that chances are I may have not worked on for a very long time. And I got a lot of help and a lot of relief. And it helped me to start addressing that sex stuff that I want to go to next. I was five years clean, and I still had an ex-wife and five or six girlfriends. I talked about I loved myself, and I was still getting shots in my ass at the clinic. Because I was having unprotected sex. Spreading it around. Get it from this one and give it to that one. Still making a mess out of my life in recovery. I was doing well with getting, staying clean. I was doing well with getting some self-honesty. And I would build up self-esteem in my life and lay down and give it away. I'd be feeling good and I'd lay down and give it away. And I was dealing with that. I deal with it from five years clean to eight years clean. And if anybody in this room or anywhere in the world would have ever told me that the thing that brought me so much pleasure would bring me so much pain, I'd tell you, out of your mind. Because I come up in the era with the Mac and Superfly and, and, and all of that kind of stuff like that. And the more women you had, you was bite it, bite it. <laughs> and what I've come to find out was, all that was was my insecurity. I was afraid to make a commitment and put all my eggs in one basket. That's what I'm talking about. I was afraid to put all my eggs in one basket. Because if I trusted you and you hurt me, Lord, have mercy, what am I going to do now? What am I going to do? And I went into, Jeff, I went into fetal position. We, we have a group of guys that we go into relationships and when they end up, we end up on the couch. We call it fetal. We gave it a name. Get depressed. Can't eat. Can't sleep. All I can do is obsess on my drug of choice and who she with and who she doing it to and how she doing it and it's better than how I was doing it and the list goes on and on and on. My sponsor say, Jonathan, you'd be better off if she was dead. You could grieve that, but just to think that she's with another man, you can't handle it. And it was true. Eight years clean. I was at a midnight meeting. New Year's. They were going around asking about New Year's resolutions. And when somebody asked me what I wanted, I'm going to use this word, and I don't mean to be offensive, but I said I wanted sexual sobriety. I wanted to be clean in that area of my life because it was killing me. 
Old timer pulled me aside after the meeting. He said, you know how to get it, don't you? I say, no. He say, stay out of wet places. I know that's crude. I know that's crude. What he was telling me was the same thing that I needed to do, be abstinent. He told me to be abstinent. I didn't know how to do that. I couldn't, I could stay in my bed up until about one o'clock and I could share real good in meetings, right? But two o'clock in the morning, I'm not going to somebody else's door. And after them five minutes up, I said five minutes, I meant that. Yeah, after them five minutes was up, I'm gone. It, 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 it was only enjoyable for the time, and then as soon as it was over, see, you ain't shit, you ain't never been shit, and you ain't going to never be shit. That's what my disease would say to me. You go to that meeting, you talk all of that stuff, and look how you're living. I stayed out of those places. I stayed on my couch. I got with my sponsor. I wrote about what I was feeling. I talked about what I was feeling. I got some humility through my humiliation. And I got some freedom from that. And I stayed out of those relationships, and then I met my wife probably when I was about 10 years clean. And I've been with her for 13 years, and I've been, yeah, 13, yes, thank you. And I have not cheated on Jonathan. And what I found out is if I don't cheat on me, I don't have to worry about cheating on anybody else. You know, that's what I had to learn how to do. Now, I think about cheating every day. That ain't going nowhere. The lust, I be looking, she be telling me the other day, talking about, what's, you, you looking at that girl dress. She's like, looking like, what's up under? You know, like, so you know how we get them looks. I still lust. I just don't act on what I, what I look at today. So that's progress rather than perfection. I might get that other stuff later, but my sponsor told me, say, some of your character defects, John, are going to die 20 minutes after you do. <laughs> yeah. It say God could and would as he was saw. It didn't say when, though. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I've, been, I've been dealing with those issues, and, and, and I feel real good in that area. And I, and I build some self-worth, and I build some self-esteem. And as a result, in my area, I, I, feel, I feel a lot of love in my area. From the men and from the women. My friend Jeff down here is one of my best friends. He just went through what I went through uh, a couple, couple, about a couple years ago. And I watched it. I'm not going to tell his story. But based on what I went through, he, he reached out and called me. And I've watched his life transform as a result of getting into the steps and then another man into his life. See, because one of the things is, I thought if I trust men because of where I come from, I'm judgmental, I'm critical, and I have, I don't know, I'm opinionated. And, and, and there was no way I was going to uh, uh, let another man into my life so he could judge me and, 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 and find out that I had these weaknesses. Today I'm vulnerable. I don't, I don't mind. Today I'm sensitive, and it's okay. Today I, I, I try to be open, and, it's, and, and today it's, it's all right. But that's not what I was raised. That's not the code I was raised on. I was raised on the code of you, you don't let your right hand know what your left hand doing. Today, I don't care. I, I, I share my story from the podium. I share it with my sponsor. I share it with my sponsees. 
My son's probably hearing hear more than he needs to know, but he's here today, and, he, and he's going to hear my story because he's here. Because I don't want him to make the same mistakes that I made. And I think he can, ha- he can handle this information. I, I think he's, it's going to be all right for him. Oh, how much time do I have? 55 minutes. And that, that is? I'm, okay. I don't want to go over but I do have a couple of other things I want to share with you. At five years clean, I went through that ordeal uh, up to eight years clean. Then I met my wife at ten years clean. And I met my wife on the college campus. I met at college. Now, I'm a DNF high school student. I started getting hired early, like ninth grade, got behind, and made, I made F's in P.E. and I was an athlete. <laughs> I made F in band and I played music. Because dope don't let you do a lot of stuff. Because you're too cool. You don't show up for appointments. You miss things that you're supposed to be going to. And the grades fall. I wish I could say that them D's and L's on my report card didn't affect my self-esteem, but it's true. When I made A's and B's, look what I made. I can show you. I made D's and L's. You better not touch that report card. You're going to have to fight. You, you pick that card up. You got to fight. Because I don't want you to know I'm dumb. And I thought I was, too. I ain't going to lie. But anyway, I went out to the college uh, uh, in 1989, and I took the placement test. And they told me that I wasn't college material. I was no brainer. I barely got out of high school. But I took the remedial courses. I started with arithmetic. I started with spelling. I started with grammar. And they gave me a U, I mean an S, for satisfactory, or a U for incomplete. So I got all S's. I didn't even get a real grade. I'm paying money for college. I'm getting S's. Like kindergarten, first grade, you know. But I got the S's right. So what that did was they gave me the prerequisites to start school. You know, I went to school five years, part-time, while working full-time, right? I graduated with, with uh, the most outstanding student at St. Petersburg Junior College in 1990. Yeah, thank you. God is good. I graduated with the most outstanding student. They, gave, they recommended me for the highest award at the college, which was the Apollo Award, which I didn't get and I was all right with. And the, the provost of the college put in a recommendation through the Robert Woodson's Foundation in Washington, D.C. for me to go to the Achievement Against the Odds Awards because I started meetings on campus because at school I, I still needed to go to meetings. And it was a selfish move because I wanted to have a meeting at school, so I started meetings so I could have a meeting at school and go to school at the same time. And they thought that that was noteworthy, and then he sent me to the White House, and I met President, uh, the first President Bush. I shook his hand in the Rose Garden, and I like to think from the jailhouse to the White House in less than five years. God is good. You know, my grandma used to say things like, boy, if you take one step, God will take two. And if you knock on the door, he'll stand, he'll open it for people just like you. I didn't understand what she was telling me, what she was telling me, but now I, I know. God will open doors that ought to be closed to an addict like me. My first job, I was in work release, in jail. The city of Clearwater, Florida. People that don't even have records can't get the job. I call the people and say, hey, look, I'm in, work, I'm in jail. I'm going to be going to work release in two weeks. Can you push my interview date back? Arrogant addict, right? They pushed the date back and hired me while I was locked up. 
Yes, they did. Now, on that job, a couple of my partners that I used to deal with and get high with, now when I got that job, guess what they thought I was? I'm the police. They didn't see it coming. I'm the police. So now I got to deal with that on the job. So when they want to go to the office and smoke their weed, they ain't going to disclude me because I'm the police. God was doing for me what I couldn't do for myself. They meant it for evil. He meant it for good. So they didn't do certain things around me, and I got the job. And I stayed there for three years. And that little voice that I told you about told me to go out there and go to that college. I was, I was, I was in a ditch. I was waist deep. I used to dig holes in the ground. I, was gas, I worked for the gas department. In the cold, in the rain, and all of that. They paid good money, vacation, benefit. And when I told my grandma I was going back to school, she said, Boy, you don't lost your mind. You got that good city job, and you finna quit. Am I going back to school? That's what she said to me. I told her I had to. I got my degree in uh, uh, substance abuse and human services with an emphasis on substance abuse. You know when we get clean, we all want to be counselors. You know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. All right, I'm, I'm one of them. I'm one of them. I think I got something to share. So I, I got that, and, I, and, I, and my first job, I, on my way to that world convention, I met this guy. I called him yesterday and just told him thank you, just out of the blue. I was just so full. The man hired me to be a substance abuse counselor with no experience, none of that, uh, in 1988. I'm a hot 18 months clean. I'm out trying to give it away. And uh, carrying the mess, that's okay. I was a carrying the mess at that point, but that's okay. I, I got the opportunity. I worked for this man, got a good job. I went to school for another Two years full-time while working part-time, and I graduated as Bachelor of Social Work Student of the Year from the University of South Florida. You see the progression? One degree is too many. A thousand is never enough. You, you know the success and stuff can work for your benefit and recovery. You, you understand that, right? But anyway, uh, I, I graduated Bachelor of Social Work Student of the Year, 3.75 GPA. My language cleared up. I, I got a dictionary. I got a vocabulary. I started learning some words like plethora, you know, <laughs> pontification. You know. I, I learned some big words, and uh, you know, and, and I thought I had arrived. I thought I thought I had arrived. I started doing some good stuff. I started getting some recognition and some support from my area. I sponsored some people. I, I, the same H and I, I got involved with H and I. I started carrying message. I was a GSR in my home group. I did a lot of service work. I want you to understand that. It just wasn't something that was easy, including going to meetings. There was never a time in my recovery that I have not gone to meetings. I want to make that clear. Because you know we got that line, sociable acceptability does not equal recovery. You know, you know how you say that. And I've got some sociable acceptable things, but I have never not gone to meetings. I may have stopped going seven days a week and cut down to three days a week, but I've never not gone. You know, uh, and, and, and as a result, I haven't had to go back out there and, and, and experience that misery. It's, it's but for the grace of a loving God. But anyway, as it was saying, I got a job as a juvenile probation officer. Right? Did that for three years. Yeah, I was a convicted felon, you know, with all that kind of stuff. And at the end of that two-year period, there was one of my, my, uh, my teachers, a research teacher. And I, and I, and I applied for clemency. And I sent my paper to Governor Lawton Childs, to the governor's office in Tallahassee. You know them people gave me a full pardon? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Give God a hand. I'm talking about that. Yeah, yeah. Give God a hand. Them people gave me a full pardon. My wife was with me. My wife said, somebody in the back room, she said, the lady praying, praying out of her spirit. I don't know who the lady is. See, God will put people around you that will pray people in the right position. I believe that. 
that meant that your governor said, no, it hasn't been 10 years yet. It's been about eight years. And uh, I remember uh, uh, Butterworth, whatever he is, he, he said, uh, Your Honor, this, he said, Mayor, I mean, Governor, this man has done a lot of good work. He said, if anybody's worthy, he is certainly worthy of it. The man signed the paper. Not only did he give me a pardon, but he said, I could tote a gun and everything. <laughs> I don't own a pistol. Because ain't nothing in my house I don't use. You hear what I'm saying? I don't own a gun because I know, I know me. I use it. Over some dumb stuff. I don't own one. But anyway, I went, I, I took a year off and I went to school for what? Three, three years part time while working full time and got my master's degree. And everything that I'm telling you is not about me, but how good God is. Don't get it twisted. Don't sit here and think that I'm glorifying what I've done. Because I truly believe when I took one step, God took the second step. And I truly believe that I knocked on the door and he opened doors that ought to be closed for an addict like me. I believe that today. I went through that whole ordeal, got those degrees. Every chance, every time that I got a different degree, my pay jumped up. I don't know how to act with money. I don't know how to act with money. You know, I went out and bought me some chains. My wife went out and bought a little sports car, got two seats in it, you know, you know. You know, we, we got a nice home, we got some nice things. As a matter of fact, I bought a second home. I came in here dead broke, y'all. Dead broke. You know what I'm saying? I uh, wanted my mom to come to the convention, but instead I brought my, my, my goddaughter, and then her sister came along. But that's the benefits of staying clean. That's that sweet life. And I'm talking about when I get back, I ain't got but a little bit on the credit card. The rest of it paid for. Paid for it early. You know, that, it, it, it's good. It's manageable. Now, I've I got to share this because I wouldn't be, uh, I, don't want, I don't want anybody to think that, that, that it's all peaches and cream. About two years ago, I don't even want to talk about this. About two years ago, they opened a little casino in my neighborhood, you know. Yeah, about two years ago, actually, it ain't my neighborhood. It's in Tampa. It takes me 20, about 30 minutes to get there. <laughs> Remember, remember I told you that uh, at eight years clean, that I would build up self-esteem and I'd lay, it, lay down and give it away? Well, now I'm building up self-esteem and I go sit at the poker table and then I sit there and give it away. I end up with the same damn feelings. Worthlessness. You know you're not doing what you think you ought to be doing. You know, I, 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 guilt. I, I end up with guilt. Remorse. This disease gets more sophisticated, find ways to try to find a crack in the armor to get me to go back to being what I used to be. And I'm at a point now that I'm tired of talking about that. Because it's not a program of talking. It's a program of action. I could talk about stuff to the cows come home. But if I don't get off my do-nothing and do something, it just continues to be a conversation. Now, I want all y'all in here to know, everybody, that I have a secret desire. And as long as I put it out there like this, it won't be a secret. But I do have a secret desire to be perfect. Yeah, I do. I have a secret desire to be perfect. But the truth of the matter is, 
No one among us has, and see, that's my clause, right? That's the clause. No one among us uh, has anything like perfect adherence to these principles, so it allowed me to stay effed up. But I know better today. I know when I can do better. I, I won't ever be perfect. That's the goal is to strive for perfection. And, and, and I'm not satisfied with the progress today. I need, I need to get on that and do something with that, saying I need, to, I, I need to do that. I need to say it out loud. I need to make something happen with that. Uh, and my sponsor probably won't want me to say nothing about that. He said, Jonathan, he says that, uh, you know, you don't stop eating, do you, if you've got a problem with food addiction. He says, you know, if you're going to do something like that, you set a time limit on it, and you give it an hour, and you put a dollar amount on it, and you, and you let it happen. I can't do that. That means that's addiction. When I don't have control, that's, that's addiction. When I'm obsessed with it and I lose control, that's addiction. And I have to look at that and do something with it. And I'm going to step on off of that. I just want to put it out there because I wouldn't be telling the whole story if I don't tell the truth. And my freedom has come from being able to put it out there. And when I can't talk about it in these rooms, it's got me. In closing, in closing, because y'all have been patient and I really appreciate it, uh, I have, I went to the bathroom three times before I came up here to speak. I hadn't had them butterflies, you know how you do before you cop. I hadn't had them in a long time. I had them, they gone now. But I had them prior to this meeting. And, and, and it's really because I still have a desire. I want to I impress y'all. You know, I want to have something powerful to say. You know, I, I, after the meeting, I love the hugs. I, I love that attention. I, I love it. I ain't going to say it like, like I don't love it. I love it. You know, I, I love being liked. I, I, I like that. Uh, it's important to me what you think. I used to say it ain't important. My sponsor said, well, if it ain't important, uh, then, then it's not overly important. I put it that way. But it is important because you are my ears and eyes. If you can't come to me and let me know something and I can't take you at face value, then, then something's wrong with what, what we're trying to do here. I need to hear what you have to say. One person said I might can discount it. Two people said I might take a look at it. Three people said I can sign up. Because y'all see something obvious that I don't see about myself. In closing, there's, there's this, this little voice. He's, this voice has spoken to me on a lot of different occasions. It's usually around 4 or 5 in the morning that the voice talked to me. And I'd be minding my own business. I'd be sleeping. And the voice said, get up and write this down. Now, I call it the voice of God. Some people call it conscious or whatever. You can call it what you want. To. But the voice said these words to me, and this is my, my, my last awakening. It says, sometimes I feel like life is too much to bear. But I have a, I have a, form, a friend who's always there. I can't see him in a physical form. But he materializes in this here poem. He has many names and faces, too. You see, he lives in me, and he lives in you. I wish I could feel him all of the time, but I have a disease and a drug addict mind. I was told if I follow 12 simple steps, that I would always be open to my high power's help. So I go to lots of meetings and in them I share, when I feel the pain and pressure of the life is too much to bear. I have a good sponsor and lots of friends to call. Because of this fact, I haven't had a fall. You see, I take life in stride one day at a time. And I look to God's power for my peace of mind. Thank you. I'm Jonathan. I'm out.
wow. Um, let's think, uh, thank uh, Jonathan for speaking one more time. And Alex from Santa Cruz is going to read just for today. I'm Alex, I'm an addict. Just for today, tell yourself. <laughs> just for today, my thoughts will be on my recovery, living and enjoying life without the use of drugs. I will have faith in someone in NA who believes in me and wants to help me in my recovery. I'll have a program, I'll try to follow it to the best of my ability. Through NA, I'll try to get a better perspective on my life. I'll be unafraid. My thoughts will be on my new associations, people who are not using and who have found a new way of life. So long as I follow that way, nothing to fear. Yep, uh, we'll circle up and uh, close the meeting with a third step prayer. This is the hardest thing we always do at the end of the meeting. Man, making a circle is tough stuff. There we go. After a moment of silence, we'll close with the uh, third step prayer. Many of us have said 